0: On this episode of Arisen, I date myself by sharing the first social media platform that I used, as well as have a conversation with a local pastor about whether or not social media helps build community or whether it becomes a hindrance. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Arisen. Welcome back to another episode of Arisen. My name is Drew and I'm the ministry director at Arise Campus Ministry. And my guest today is Reverend Thomas James, who's the pastor at Washington Street, UMC, and my number one buddy that I like to kill when we play Among Us as imposter, because I always know that he will be the one to figure out that I'm the imposter. So I always have to kill him first. That and my child, to be fair. <laughs> Thomas, how are you doing today?
1: Um, well, I appreciate the invitation to be on here, and then look forward to having this conversation with you today. So Much more than I look forward to getting killed on Among Us, for sure.
0: Well, and to be fair, whenever the roles are switched, I'm pretty sure I get killed pretty quickly as well. I don't think it's because I'm good at the game. I think it's just, be, just have pure revenge and anger.
1: Revenge for certain.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Again, I'm not great at that game at all, so... But I did want to bring you on. We're having a whole conversation this month around community. And one of the things that I remember is going to a training and you offered conversation around social media. And that was several years ago. But I wanted to get your take on how we build community and what role social media plays in that.
1: Yeah. You know, I I always like to start with Facebook when I think about the role social media can play, because Facebook was very intentional about naming the purpose of their technology when they first came out. Um, To say that it's adapted a little bit is uh, an understatement to say the least. Uh, But when Facebook first launched, they said their intent was to help you know one another so well know what music people like, know what dinner spots people liked going to, know what food people liked eating, that you would know them better as individuals so that you could have better working relationships with them. Um, And there's certainly something that is helpful with social media about learning more about the other person, right? You do get to see a part of their life that you never got to see before. Um, In fact, as a pastor, I say it's one of the few ways that I'm able to actually know what's going on in the life of my parishioners, right? Because they're not calling me and telling me what's going on in their life. That if I'm not friends with them on social media, I, I'm probably not really abreast as to what's happening in their day-to-day life. I find out that people's parents have died on social media far more often than I have an email or a text that lets me know those things are happening. And so the intent of social media is to allow us to get to know one another in a way that we could not otherwise know each other. And the better we know each other, theoretically the better our community with one another can be. I think the challenge of social media is that it has adapted its its original intent, as we do with any technology. Uh, you and I were talking before we came live about the, making different mods in, um, among us, right? Uh, technology is there. And as we learn more about technology, we, we start playing with it. We start adapting it to make it fit what we want it to be about, regardless of what the creators made it to be about. And and there we see some of the detriment of social media and we see some of the challenges of how social media is used And instead of building community, perhaps we could say that it breaks community. Social media at its purest, at its best form, helps us to know one another in a way that builds relationship. But at its worst, because we know each other so well, we can tear each other apart. Because we have more access to each other, we can offer degrading comments instead of building comments. And and that makes community just much, much harder to
0: really form and create and maintain. Absolutely. And you talked a lot about the ways in which social media has gone beyond what the creators in their best of intentions. And I'll be honest, when I started using Facebook, I was one of the first people that was able to use it. And it literally was, there's a cute girl in my sociology class I want to find out as much information as I can to then be able to go talk to the cute girl and not look like a moron. That was, that was my intention with it. I'm a terrible human being. I have repented since then and am now a much more sanctified individual. I would never do that anymore, especially since I'm married.
1: I would say my wife and I would say the same story because we met each other in
0: seminary and we both researched each other on Facebook before we ever had a first conversation with each other. So before we dive back in, what was your first social media site that you used?
1: So when I was in college, I went to Ferrum College, a great Methodist university here in Virginia. Facebook had just launched and was a campus by campus platform at that time. And so we actually had a Facebook platform at Ferrum. And it was the first one that I would say I used as a social media site. We had instant messenger and things of that nature before that were communication based. Um, but Facebook was the first one I had that was really information based. No MySpace? I never got into MySpace. no. It's making a comeback, I heard. There was another one at the time of MySpace, uh, maybe started with an X. I'm not going to remember it. Anyway, I didn't use it enough. Facebook was the first one that I really got into.
0: Yeah, you really missed the MySpace because you could do your top eight and you could really mess with people. And you knew, like, when I broke up with someone, I took them out of my top eight and it was like a huge deal. Like, that's how you knew people broke up. Facebook, of course, you have the relationship <laughs> status. But and it, and it was nice, too, because if you want to break up with a friend, you could do that as well. And it was super public. Mm. You know, now you can just mute people. That wasn't an option. <laughs> so speaking of how social media has evolved, how do you stay up to date? Because now not only do we have Facebook, but we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have TikTok, we have all kinds of different groups. <laughs> what suggestions would you make around that?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that I find about the different technology, the different platforms that exist, is that they, they are different by community. Um, I served at a church out in Centerville for a while, and we had high schoolers who came to our church from three different high schools. And it was interesting. Our youth director had a really hard time con- connecting with all three different schools because each school had its own social media culture. Uh, one of them, the kids didn't text message. They used Twitter as their text messaging platform. It was the way they kept their parents from knowing how many times they were sending messages to each other. It's, it didn't show up on the phone bill, right? It was used as data. The parents didn't know what they were doing with it. Um, another one of the schools used Snapchat. That's the way they communicated. And then the third school was really big into text messaging. And so you had to figure out which school does this kid go to? Because that's how I need to be able to communicate with this person. And so I think that's one of the 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 first places you have to start is you just got to get a sense of like, what's going on? Um, who am I trying to communicate with? And how do they communicate? For example, I know with clergy, like Facebook Messenger is something that I use. It's not necessarily the primary platform I use, but it's something I do use. And I'll message a clergy person because it's the only way I know how to get a hold of them. And they won't respond to me for months. And then out of the blue one day, they'll message me back and say, I'm sorry, I never checked my Facebook Messenger. If you want to reach me, reach me on text. Um, And here I am thinking for three months, they just didn't like me and didn't want to talk to me. And the reality is I was using a communication method that they don't use. And so I think when you look at TikTok and you look at Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and um, a lot of news was brought up about Parler, right? There's all of these different tools that are coming about um, in some ways challenging and threatening Facebook and Twitter as these kind of two main platforms people are using. But it's because people want more niche communication opportunities. They want to find a way to better communicate with each other, the videos or the messages or the songs or the things that matter to them which Facebook in some ways has gotten too big and too broad. And Twitter just doesn't let you really be in conversation in the same way that some of these other tools do. So you really do, you have to kind of get to know the culture of your community. Uh, Who are you speaking with? Who are you trying to connect with? And
0: what messages and community? How are you building community around those technologies? Now, certainly with the pandemic going on, the way in which we've used technology has certainly changed as well. And the relationship we have it. I hear both that People love being able to connect with people from across the country, right? I can play games with my mother who lives three hours away that I and my sister who lives in, out in Colorado, but I can't obviously do that in person. Uh, but at the same time, there's this longing for a sense of human connection. Yeah. And what's, what are some lessons that you're learning about the ways in which we've been reliant on technology right now and the ways that maybe the future of that balance and will it shift?
1: Yeah. Again, I think so much of this is cultural, partly because, you know, I live in a community uh, here in Northern Virginia where the majority of my, my congregants, the majority of the people who live in this community, they haven't, they haven't really lost their day jobs. They've just stopped working in the office and started working at home. And so they're now on video chats using Zoom or WebEx or whatever, you know, 40 hours a week. So the last thing they want to do is to get on another Zoom call at the end of the day for a small group or or to get on a Zoom call on Sunday for a part of worship. So again, so much of this is cultural. So much of it is based community by community. But I do think that What we have all lost in the past year because of the pandemic is the ability to have honest and meaningful in-person conversations with one another to the point that when we go to the store, we have this mask on and it's not just the physical mask that covers our face, but it's the the societal mask. It's like, I don't want to go near you. Like I've been, I've been told I need to distance myself from every person I come to, to the point that when I go visit, even my family, like I walk in and I'm almost hesitant to give anyone a hug because I'm not sure, am I allowed to hug you? Right. Are you OK with me giving you a hug when I go to visit a, a church member or when I even should I walk next door to the, the neighbor's house? Right. Like I, I have to be hesitant walking up into their personal space because we now have these six foot bubbles that that we've been told we need to maintain. Whether you're vaccinated, whether you're masked, whatever, like we have to maintain these these spaces. Uh, and, and so it's making it really challenging to to really connect with people in ways that we are used to connecting with people. And so social media and technology in general have provided, if you will, an alternative, but not a replacement. And I think we have to be really careful about this. I think we have become so accustomed to Zoom calls, to playing games with each other online, to connecting with people through social media, that if we're not careful, that will become the norm that replaces the old way. And I think there is a benefit to social media. I think there's a benefit to technology. But I have I have been naming this since the day I started using social media. Social media is not a replacement for in-person community. It's not a replacement for in-person connections. It is a supplement at best. And so I think what we have to figure out and what we have to learn going forward as the as the ability to connect with one another is made more possible as COVID becomes less widespread, as vaccines are more widely disseminated, is how do we start re-engaging? in a way that doesn't, uh, if you will, overstimulate us in a way that we're not ready to handle, right? It's been so long. I mean, just earlier today, I stopped by a church. I was in driving some, in the community and I stopped by a church to see another Methodist clergy. And she, she made this very open statement. She goes, it's been a long time since anyone's just stopped by to say hello to me, right? We're just not used to it. And, and so we have to almost start uh, putting our toes in the water again of, of asking what is it going to look like for us to honestly re-engage with one another to, to rebuild, uh, not to assume that what we had is still there, but to rebuild relationships with one another.
0: And I wonder what it looks like because my guess is, is that the pendulum may swing too far maybe away from social media as well. We certainly – I was doing some research before the pandemic – about how this newest generation is kind of staying away from a lot of the technology that the millennials were doing and kind of realizing that that may not have been the healthiest thing for millennial generations. So Gen Z is kind of like, eh, I'm a little more hesitant about this. And I wonder now which way that will swing with so much Zoom, so much social media, but a deep desire for them to keep some of their private lives more private than – my generation did, or
1: well, I think that's a really good a really good observation to make, right? When we look at my generation, I I consider myself in the zennial, so I'm I'm a little bit younger than a, a Gen Gen X, but I'm a little bit older than a millennial, right? So my my age in the early 80s coming up was the first one that got a little bit of social media, maybe had a cell phone when we were in high school, but probably more like when we were college, and so we we had this kind of healthy upbringing where technology was not a part of our everyday life. And so when we started actually getting into it and really using it, we were used to life without technology. And so it wasn't hard for us to turn it off and to get away from it. Gen Z and the younger generations, right? They don't know life without technology. All right, I mean, my, I've got two kids in the house right now who are on their computer from 9.30 in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon because that's how they're doing school. They will know technology better than any generation before them has ever known. But it's also gonna be more foreign for them to be without technology and in some ways that's what invites them to get away from it like at some point there comes a breaking point of i don't want to be connected to this computer screen anymore i've been looking at it for 12 hours a day for school for how many years like uh, for, for for this entirety year like i just i want to have personal connections and it's gonna be really interesting i mean turning technology off turning it on and the ability to form in-person relationships Right. Our ability to connect. I mean, we always talk about the joke of I'm walking down the street and this is all you see is people staring at their computer screen. Right. Like the cell phone is up in our face and to the point that I don't even acknowledge that I just walked by 20 different people. I may not even notice that I walked past a friend or a family member because I've never taken my eyes up off the, off my cell phone screen. And so I think it's going to be a really interesting kind of test of what time what will happen coming out of the pandemic of what what does it look like to actually have meaningful relationships that we're all craving right we all want them but social media in some ways has said we can replace that for you but but, but that's not the truth right there is something about in fleshed relationship that is so important we have to practice in fleshed relationship because if not, we allow technology to always be a barrier. I mean, even as you and I are talking today, right, I would have much rather had this conversation at a coffee house with you. But we, we can't. It's it's not feasible right now to have this conversation in person. So yeah, I, I think that's just a, a really good question of, of what it looks like for future generations of how much technology will rule their life versus how much they'll rebel against it when they've basically been told this is this is the only way of doing things.
0: I think what's really interesting for me is that oftentimes with college students or people who are younger than me, they say that it's easier to form relationships online, and it's much harder. It takes much more time and investment to do in-person relationships. And I think that we're beginning to, just as you said, it's going to take time to practice. It's going to be harder. It's going to still have people's anxiety up. And I think we just need to be patient with one another. Mm -hmm. We need to give each other the benefit of the doubt, be kind to one another. We're all coming out of a stressful, anxious situation. And just be able to practice being together, even if it's not having to do all the small talk or conversations like that. It's just being in the presence (laughs) of other people.
1: You know, perhaps this isn't applicable, but there is a, a psychologist who once said that that, which is foreign, that which is exotic becomes erotic for us. So, if in-person relationships are what is foreign, if that is what is exotic, is the ability to actually meet in person, then there will there will likely become this new erotic, if, if you will, this new desirable aspect to in-person relationships that we're, even those of us who have been used to them for a while they are now distant for us. And so, it'll be interesting to see how we handle that. Like, how do we how do we emotionally handle reconnecting in person with people. I think that we will find ourselves um, almost overwhelmed when we have the ability to actually gather in ways that we haven't gathered for 12 months or more. Right. I mean, my, my local church has not had an in-person worship service in over 365 days. And it's one of the things that I, it keeps me up at night of wondering, like, what is this going to look like? How how are we going to handle just sitting in the same pew next to someone who we haven't sat in a pew with for 365 or more days, right? How do we really engage with people when we haven't practiced that kind of engagement in any meaningful way? And and to your point, social media will never replace that.
0: Again, as we're kind of getting to closing thoughts, I wanted to just mention as well, I I've found myself thinking, I'm not in the local church anymore. But thinking about what it must be like to be a shut-in. Somebody that would Mm -hmm. love to go to church. Someone who, even at our university, when you're sick or or hurting or you have to stay at home for a semester, how difficult Mm -hmm. that must be that you would want nothing more to be present. But in the life of most churches, and maybe this is unfair, but you can feel like you're an afterthought. You may not Mm -hmm. be, but it feels that way because I can't, watch worship. I I can't go. I want to go. I've been told my whole life how important it is to go to church. And I remember being a pastor and just having to tell my shut-ins like, God knows you want to go and I'm going to come and visit you. Do not feel guilty that you cannot go. And I wonder now if maybe we'll have a little more empathy for people that may not be able to be present.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I will say in the last week, I know of two individuals who are 80 years or older who have verbally or physically expressed that they are done with the isolation. And for an 85 year old, 95 year old, hundred year old individual being done with the isolation for them means they're giving up their will to live. And so if for college students who may be listening, call your grandparents, call your parents. It's one of the things that I I think is going to become a focus for us at the church in the next three to six months is finding ways to start now. If we haven't already Find ways to start now reconnecting with those who are homebound. If they're living in a nursing home and they've got lots of friends or people they can see around them, they've got some social interaction. But for those who are living independently at home, um, who haven't left their house besides maybe to go pick up groceries for the last 12 months, who haven't seen a physical family member in the last 12 months or have seen them much more sparingly, right? we are going to have a crisis of, of will because it's just miserable being home alone i mean it's miserable being here home alone with four people that we see every single day like we have a craving we have a desire it's part of our amago dei our desire to be in community with others and yeah you're you're absolutely right it's something that we need to start paying attention to now we need to start paying attention to those who haven't had that kind of connection and start offering it in any way, form or fashion, whether it's writing letters because they don't like doing Zoom calls or don't know how to do Zoom calls, picking up the phone and calling them once a week just to say, I'm thinking about you. I love you. And this is why I say social media can't replace that. Right? There's Social media cannot replace the ability to hear one's voice. It cannot replace the ability to touch one's hand. Um, it's something that we have to figure out how to create Wholesome, meaning lasting relationships, not just with those who are our same generation, but across the generations, because it's the community that we've been given, even if it's not the community we've chosen.
0: Well, Thomas, thank you again for coming on. And again, if you want to find out more about Thomas's church, you live stream and have virtual worship. You can go to Washington Street, UMC. And where else can people find you?
1: We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, um, but the website, WSUMC.com, will tell you everything you need to know about our church, and we do live stream every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at WSUMC.live. If
0: you're looking for a Rise Campus Ministry on Instagram, you can go to at AriseGMU. And then if you want to learn more about our campus ministry as service, both George Mason University as well as Nova Community Colleges, you can go to AriseGMU.org. Thanks again, Thomas, for joining us. And Thanks there, for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening as well. Take care mm mm-hmm.